Well, welcome everybody to Downtown Harbor Church. If it is your first time here, and I know we got a couple of first timers, welcome. Appreciate you coming out. My name is John. I'm the lead pastor around here. Appreciate you giving us just a little bit of a time on a Sunday morning, um, especially Time Change Sunday. I don't know. I hope you guys are doing well. The 9 a.m. crowd looked a little rough around the edges, but like I have learned, because in my you know wisdom now these days, like I have learned that I actually changed my clocks like last night at 5 p.m. I just go to my wife. Listen. I'm living in the future. I'm doing it now. And she's like, John, it's like, you know, now it's like nine o'clock and it's only four o'clock. I don't care. Right. We may have gone to bed at 730, but I feel great. I mean, not really. Whoever feels great. I feel decent. All right. So we are, if it is your first time, we are in this series called Bite Size, where for the last few weeks, and we're wrapping it up next week, but for the last few weeks, we have been talking about these bite-sized nuggets of wisdom that one can find in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs is an Old Testament book. It was written by a guy named Solomon, who was one of the greatest kings of Israel. And because of a gift from God, he became the wisest man to have ever lived. And so we thought it might be wise of us to tune into his wisdom, find out what he's got to say, and try to figure out how to apply his wisdom to our life. Because if we can do that, as I've been saying every week, it can make our lives better, and it can make us better at life. So today what I want to do is I want to really just drill down deep on that one thing that is inside of you, and that one thing that is inside of me that keeps you from and causes you to. It's that one thing inside each and every single one of us that keeps you from celebrating other people's success. It's that one thing that keeps you from saying you're sorry. It's that one thing that keeps you from admitting that you have some weakness, that you might need some help. It's that one thing that keeps you from admitting you lost. Um, it's that one thing that keeps many of us from being honest with ourselves or perhaps other people in our lives. It's that one thing that causes us to feel good when other people fail. It's that one thing that causes us to have to have the final word like all the time. And it's that one thing that causes us to buy things, to impress other people, even though nobody's really paying attention. Anybody have an idea what we're going to be talking about today? Pride. Among all of the issues that Solomon spoke about, and he talked about a lot of things, pride makes its way to the top of the list. In fact, it's not so much that he has one proverb on pride. He has so many, I didn't even know where to start. And, and when we're talking about pride, I don't, I don't mean that pride you feel for your child, right? This is not that, that sort of pride that inspires people to greatness. I'm talking about this nasty thing that lives inside each and every single one of us that C.S. Lewis, the great Christian writer, was talking about when he wrote, there is one vice of which no man or woman in the world is free, which everyone in the world loathes, I love that word, loathes when he sees it in someone else. He goes on, unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all that are mere flea bites in comparison. Pride leads to every other vice. And it's in you, and it's in me, and, and we, we've been victims of pride. We have victimized our family with our pride. And here's the thing, we just, we just don't even know. Because pride is so easy to spot in other people, isn't it? I mean, wow, it's just, it's just there. But it is difficult, sometimes almost impossible to see it in our own lives. Perhaps Solomon's 
most famous nugget of wisdom, this bite-sized wisdom when it comes to pride is Proverbs 16, 18, when he says, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before the fall, or as we often paraphrase it now, pride goes before the fall. It was pride that caused Icarus to fly too close to the sun. As I said last week, it was pride that, that rocked heaven, um, ultimately causing Satan and one-third of the angels to be cast out of heaven after they led a revolt against God. And we actually have uh, scripture of God describing Satan's pride. You've got to look at this with your own eyes. This is God talking about Satan. You said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne, spelled wrong, above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. I will, I will, I will. Me, me, me. It was pride that started it all. To quote C.S. Lewis again, pride is the complete anti-God state of mind. It's this, I know best, I am the best, look at me, celebrate me. Now, there's a couple of things that we all know about pride, and one of the things that we do know is that pride hinders our ability to admit what you need to admit, or to apologize when you need to apologize, or to acknowledge when you need to acknowledge. I mean, how many times have you found yourself in a situation where it's like you, you know you need to admit you're wrong? You know, like you know you have to apologize. You know you need to acknowledge the hurt that is going on in that particular relationship or whatever the case may be. But there's something inside of us that just won't let us do it. That's pride. Pride prevents us from saying what needs to be said. I mean, for some of you, for some of you, there are people who love you, who are dying, and I mean dying to hear one positive word from you, one nugget of affirmation. Honey, you're the best. Son, I'm just, I'm so proud of you. And here's the thing. You know you need to say something, but pride just, mm, just won't let you do what you need to do. It won't let you say what you need to say. Pride prevents us from hearing what needs to be heard. There are people trying to get through to you about some issue, but it's as though pride has blocked your ears. I mean, it's like their words are just bouncing off of you. It's, it's as though they're speaking to a wall, and perhaps they may have even told you that before. It's like, I'm talking to a wall, John. No one says it about me, but okay, it's like, I'm, <laughs> it's like I'm talking to a wall. And pride prevents you from giving what needs to be given. It's as though you have this, it's like, it's like you have an inability to just compliment somebody without adding some kind of jab at the end. It's like, hey, nice job. Next time, why do you do, oh, thank you. Oh, you redid your kitchen. Hmm, interesting tile choice. Okay, it's like you just, for some, right? You know people like this. You might be one of them. There's just an inability for you to just compliment somebody. And here's the thing. You don't leave that conversation going, what's wrong with me? Right? You know, guess what? Nobody else is asking that question either because they know what's wrong with you. you got a pride problem, Mon Frere. Everybody sees it but you. Now, one of the more insidious things, shall we say, about pride is that pride crowds out others. When, when you are full of yourself, guess what? Ain't no room for anybody else. There, I mean, there are people in your house 
There are people in your life that feel oppressed by your pride. That they walk on eggshells when they're around you because, to quote George Costanza, we mustn't disturb the delicate genius because God forbid your pride gets stepped on. You become aggressive or maybe you become passive. It, you're, just not, you're just not nice to be around. And, then, and you don't even know this. We do. Pride just doesn't crowd out other people. It has the potential to crowd out God. David, who was the greatest king of Israel, who was actually the father of Solomon, interesting side note, he had this to say about pride. In his pride, the wicked man does not seek him. He's talking about God. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. That in a prideful person's thoughts, literally in Hebrew as he has it here, there is no God. That when you are at the far end of the pride spectrum, it's as though you believe you are the center of the universe. So this week, I was, as I was looking at everything Solomon had to say, and I was thinking about the massive, like the absolutely massive nature of pride, the far-reaching effects and impacts of pride, I realized that we can't talk about everything. We, we, just, we just simply cannot talk about everything, but we can't talk about one thing. And what I want to do today is I want to talk about this one aspect of pride, this one symptom of pride, shall we say, this one reflection of pride that I believe impacts us most as Americans. And I would describe it as our desire to be known. It seems pretty clear to me that as Americans, we want to be known by someone for something. If there's this desire inside of us for notoriety, and because of social media, Facebook, Instagram, all that stuff, I mean, it, is, it has become an epidemic, not only in this world, but particularly in this country. There is a great documentary that just came out. If you have HBO now, you got to go home and you got to go watch Fake Famous. It should be mandatory viewing for anybody who's like, you know, a teenager, 20, 30. Honestly, we should all go watching it. But what this documentary does is it debunks this whole idea of Instagram influencers. And it's shocking to see what they do. It's shocking to see how this impacts how we see ourselves and how we want to be seen by other people. Now, you may not think this applies to you because you're not building your Instagram audience. But it does. Because every single one of us has an audience in mind when you, you know, get dressed in the morning. You've got an audience in mind when it comes to work. you got an audience in mind in your neighborhood or in your school or even in the gym. And whether we want to admit to it or not, and we probably won't because we have pride, we want to be seen, admired, loved, maybe even envied. We want to be known. There is something inside every single one of us that lives for the applause, that recognition, we crave it. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's like this. Maybe we think it's approval. Maybe we, it feels like it's validation of some sort. Honestly, I think we just might love the attention. And I was thinking about this week. Do you know where I, in my opinion, where I think this sort of attention thing started? I think it started when we were kids. Like if you have children, and I know many of you do, particularly of young children, kind of under the age of 10, there is one phrase that you will hear all the time. Hey, watch me, right? I mean, it's like, hey, mom, hey, dad, watch me. And they proceed to like, I don't know, jump off the couch or into the pool and like swim underwater. And it's like, oh, great, wonderful job. 
And, and, but like, why do they do this? They want you, their audience, to watch them and to celebrate that. So over Christmas, I was up in New Jersey. We were visiting my in-laws. And when I was up there, I got to spend a lot of time with my sister-in-law. Her name is Sophia. Here's a picture of me and my sister-in-law. Okay, she's five. Don't ask the whole thing. Um, so what, like, so I'm staying at her house and, you know, she's excited that we are there. And from the moment I got up, it was John, watch this, John, watch that, John, watch, like, all day long. Okay. And listen, like I indulge her. Okay. I do my duty as the brother-in-law. Okay. And I like, but there's only so much enthusiasm you can muster for this kind of a thing. You parents know. And at the end of the day, I kind of escaped to this one room in the house, try to just get out, you know, it's your in-laws. I'm trying to, I need like a breather. So I'm, I'm in this room and I'm just going through Instagram or Flipboard or whatever, Reddit, anything, you know, just trying to get like a breather from the day. And who comes barreling into the room? Sophia. And it's, the, it's like, hey, John, watch me. Hey, John. And I'm honestly, I'm just straight up ignoring her and it's not stopping. Okay. It's John. And I finally go, yes, Sophia, how can I help you? All eyes are on you, please. Entertain me, okay? And she proceeds to do like the lamest spin I've ever seen in my, okay? I'm talking weak sauce, no effort put into this thing at all. And I'm just like, you know what? Here's the thing. I'm gonna, I'm gonna use this as a teachable moment in this child's life. I'm gonna pastor this child right now. I'm gonna put her on the path that will make her a better person. So I look at her and I'm not exaggerating when I tell you this. I look at her and I go, Sophie, I'm gonna be honest with you. That was not the most impressive thing I've seen you do. And you could just see that she was shocked by my honesty. And you could tell that she herself knew what she just did was lame. And it just goes to show you that even at an early age, we just do things to get people to watch us because we want to hear their applause. And it dawned on me that because of the internet, blogs, Social media, all that stuff has become the adult version of, hey, watch me. And in this documentary, um, actress Justine Bateman, Jason Bateman's sister from Ozark, which you haven't seen it, you should go see it, okay? She was talking about this whole thing. And she goes, look, being famous, this is a quote, being famous is like being a toddler in the sense that everything you do is praised. And so when it comes to social media, she was saying, it's, it's, this, it's our desire to be loved, to get that feeling that we had as a child. See, I think what she was saying is that social media has made the behavior of toddlers socially acceptable for adults. It has allowed us as adults to recapture that, hey, watch me feeling that we so loved when we were like four. Great example. Let me just kind of walk you through what this might look like. So I got a buddy, his name's Ethan. He goes to this church. I let him know that I was going to be talking about him today. Ethan's three. Here's a picture of Ethan. So he and I, we really bond over basil. He and I like basil a lot. He eats it raw, right from the plant. Kid's an animal. That's why I like him, okay? So when I go to his house, in fact, I'm going to go there today, so we'll see if this happens. But like when I go to his house, the first thing he wants to do is to like show me his new toys, brings me into his bedroom, just lays out all the new toys that he's gotten. And he, he wants me to tell him how amazing these new toys are. And I do, because he's three. As an adult, you would never go to like your neighbor's house and go to the front door and go, hey, Ed, look at my new watch. Huh? Okay. You would never go over and say, like my new bag, right? You would never kind of whip out pictures of your kitchen renovation and go, hey, what do you think of my, my new kitchen? You like what you, like you wouldn't do that. 
That is socially unacceptable. People would think you're crazy. But mm, gotta kind of scratch that itch. We kind of we sort of need a little bit of applause. So so what do we do? We post a picture of our stuff on social media because hey, watch me. Look at my stuff. Aren't my new toys great? Or do you remember when you were a child, you would do a painting at school? And it wasn't very good, but you brought it home and your parents, what did they do with your painting? They put it on the fridge and we, and, and we got celebrated because of that painting. And we, we loved it, okay? And we craved that. But now as adults, we don't really get that, that fridge experience, if you will. And yet we want it. So, so what do we do? What do we do when we have some professional success in our lives? What do, what do we do when we have some personal achievement? We post about it on Facebook. Why? Because we want to be celebrated. Pride, with the help of social media, has turned us into self-promotion machines. And I think, honestly, I think we're blind to it. Because if we knew this about ourselves, we wouldn't do it. But when you really look at how we as Americans talk about ourselves, build ourselves up, celebrate ourselves, it's a problem. And it's becoming normalized. Solomon advises, let someone else praise you, not your own mouth, a stranger even, not your own lips. He would say, look, success is a wonderful thing. We are so happy for you but let your success speak for itself. Don't put it out there just to get some applause. So it's obvious, pride's an issue, it's a problem. What do we do about it? Well, to get some insight on this sort of desire that we all have lurking inside of us to be known by someone for doing something, I wanna take a look at a really interesting incident in the life of a guy by the name of John the Baptist. Now, the reason I want to look at this is not so that we can learn how to not be known, right? Because being known is not a, a bad thing at all. What we're going to learn today is how to handle being known, how to handle personal success so that it actually serves us well and, and doesn't sort of take over our lives. Now, I've got to imagine that almost every single one of you have heard the name John the Baptist before. I mean, even, even if like, you're not a Christian, you kind of just know that name. It just, it's out there. John the Baptist was wildly famous, hugely famous in his day. Take a look at how Jesus describes John the Baptist. I tell you the truth. Of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. Now, that's a Yelp review, okay? I mean, honestly, that's like Solomon would go like, Folks, this is how it's done. You get somebody else, like the Messiah, to, like, to praise you. That is, this is what it looks like. And of course, like if this happened to us, what would we do? We'd take like a screenshot of it and post it and go, oh gosh, hashtag so humbled. Right. Sure you are. Okay. So John the Baptist's story takes place over the entire four gospels. And so what I'm going to do for you today is to synthesize his account, bring it all together so that you can see this one particular story. So don't pay attention so much to the, the verses, but listen to the story. So Mark, um, he gets us started, and he just kind of gets right into a typical Mark, and he goes, and so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism for the forgiveness of sins. He says the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. 
Let's pause on this because this is one of those verses that if you were reading your Bible, you would just kind of breeze right past this because, you know, background detail, not really important. But this is important, particularly for today, because Mark is describing John's audience. He is saying that John's audience is made up of the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem. Even if Mark is using hyperbole here, kind of how we say, oh my gosh, there's a million people there. Well, there weren't a million people there, but there was a lot of people there. Even if this is hyperbole, you know, Mark is letting us know that there were potentially thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people going out, leaving Jerusalem, walking out into the desert to listen to John and to watch him do his thing. In fact, the crowds were so big that it actually caused some of the religious leaders to wonder if he himself might be the Messiah. And so these religious leaders, they send out, let's call it a team of investigators, to sort of find out who exactly John is. And that's what we're going to take a look at. It says, this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders sent priests and temple assistants from Jerusalem to ask John, who are you? They're like, John, look, you, you speak so powerfully you command the crowd. People, they just, they just want to be in your presence. Are you, uh, are you the Messiah? John replied, no, no, I'm not the Messiah. They asked him, well, well then who are you? are you? Are you Elijah? The Jewish people waiting for the great prophet Elijah to actually come back. No, not him. Oh, are you the prophet? Yeah. Okay, finally. They said, well, then who are you? We need an answer. For, like, we got to go back to our bosses and tell people who you are. So, like, what do you have to say about yourself? Ooh. What do we have to say about ourselves? Oh, we like this question because this is the hey, watch me moment. This is the hey, look at me, celebrate me moment. Who am I? Well, come on. I'm John the Baptist. I mean, I, who am I? I'm the best speaker there is. Who am I? I mean, I'm the best baptizer. I mean, I have baptized 300 people so far today, and it's only, what is it, 1113? Yesterday, I banged out 400. Who am I? I'm the guy with the record crowds. That's who I am. Look at what John said. John replied in the words of the prophet Isaiah. He didn't even talk about himself. He just went to what someone else said. I'm a voice shouting in the wilderness, clear the way, for the Lord's coming. Who am I? I'm a voice. I'm a, I'm a road sign. You know, yes, there are thousands of people that come to hear me speak, but I exist only to point others to the Messiah. John's like, I, I know you think I might be like some big deal, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. I mean, can you imagine this type of humility, particularly coming from a guy of this stature, this notoriety, this fame? He's like, you think I'm something? Listen, you ain't seen nothing yet. This guy that's coming, I can't even shine his shoes. And with that, they leave. Story continues. The next day, John was doing his thing again. And he was there with two of his disciples, when he saw Jesus passing by, and he said, look, 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 it's the Lamb of God. Hey, boys, he's the one that I'm talking about. 
He is why I am here. I exist to point you and everybody else to him. And it says when the two disciples heard him, they followed Jesus, which means they unfollowed John. He was, he was losing his audience. The man with all the fans was losing his fans. Now, here's the thing. Didn't bother him at all. Not in the slightest. But it bothered his followers. Take a look. His followers came to him and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you the other, uh, on the other side of the Jordan, we're talking about Jesus now, you know, the one you testified about, look, he's baptizing. And everyone's going to him. John, Johnny boy, we got, we got a real problem on our hands. We got a PR nightmare. I mean, you're John the Baptist. You're the baptizer. That's your gig. That's what you do. That guy, what's his name, Jesus? Now he's doing it. He's biting your style. He's stealing the show. He's taking the spotlight. We got to do something. Honestly, we got to up your game. You know what we should do? You got that picture of him when he's dunking the two people in the background of the huge crowd? We should post that and do like a TBT kind of a thing, you know, hashtag blessed kind of a thing, because we got to get people remembering how good you are. And they're due fast because you're losing them. Now, John's response honestly is incredible. And if we can begin to sort of grasp what he is saying here, it can change our lives. Because this truth that he shares would allow you to have a tremendous amount of success in all areas of your life, fame, fortune, whatever, and it never goes to your head. John responds, a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. He's like, boys, all my fame, talent, these crowds, where do you think they came from? Guys, everything I have is from, is from God. Everything that has been placed into these hands, from my abilities to preach, from my abilities to command crowds, to the crowds themselves, it all comes from God, which means I give credit to God. I, I am but a steward of whatever he's given me for the limited amount of time that he has given it to me, and I won't make the mistake of thinking it's about me. And then he famously says, he, speaking of Jesus, must become greater. I must become less. He's saying, I, I am not owned by that desire to be known. In fact, I am only known to make him known. You know what that means for us as Christians, if you're a Christian in the room? It means that whatever we are known for is a means to making Christ known, period. That's it. That whatever we are known for, for however long we are known for being it or, or doing it, it is but a means to an end of letting other people know about Jesus Christ. It's not about you. Never was. It's only about making our Savior known. To say it another way, our lives must spotlight the Creator, not the created. But this doesn't come easily because there's that thing inside of you and that thing inside of me that keeps us from spotlighting Him and causes us to spotlight ourselves. So my dad tells this story. He was about 
eh, about 29, 30 years old. He had graduated law school, started his own practice. And it was becoming clear that he was going to be a, like a pretty good attorney. And um, he was getting a lot of big clients. He was winning a lot of cases. And, and, and so one day he goes over to my grandparents' house, as he tells this story. He, was, he goes over to my grandparents' house, two old Italian people. My grandfather was a pastor. And he starts regaling them about his, all of his achievements. You know, Dad, I, I landed this client. It's a massive client. You don't understand. There are, there are huge firms with hundreds of attorneys. I'm one guy. They want this guy. I landed this client. You don't understand how big this is. I've won this case. It's amazing. And my dad was saying that after every accomplishment that he said, my grandfather would say, well, thank God. You know, I, I won this case. Well, thank God. You know, I landed this client. Well, thank God. Only after a while, he goes, Dad, every time I tell you something that I have done, you say, thank God. Don't I get any credit? I mean, I'm the one out there landing these clients. I'm the one out there in the courtroom arguing these cases. Don't I get any credit at all? Grandfather, pulls his chair up to the table, looks at my father and says, let me ask you a question. If God didn't give you the intellect that he gave you, could you have graduated law school? Well, no. If, if God didn't give you the opportunities to get in front of those clients, could you have landed them? Well, when you say it that way, no. If God didn't give you the talent that he gave you, could you have won those cases? No. Well then, thank God. See, my grandfather was making the same point as John the Baptist. That when it comes to your gifts, your talents, your success, I mean, everything that you are known for, we need to remember who it's from and who it's for. You got, you got to remember who made you you. You got to remember who gave you what you have and whatever achievements they may be, whatever influence you have in this world is a blessing from God to spotlight God, not yourself. And if we can remember this, God can place into your hands any amount of fame or fortune or whatever, and it won't affect you and it will reflect him. Now, earlier, I read you Jesus' description of John the Baptist. Remember what Jesus said about him. I tell you the truth. Of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. I mean, that is a lot of talent. That's a lot of talent for one man to spotlight his creator. This is a guy who had a massive audience that he could point towards Christ. But I didn't read you the whole verse. Because Jesus would go on to say, yet, even the least person in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he is. Jesus is saying that you, as a follower of mine, you, whoever you are, no matter how insignificant or unimpressive you may think you are, or the world has told you you are, you have a greater ability than John the Baptist to point others to me. Now, that's incredible. And that is something to be proud of. So, what's practical? What do you do with a message like this? 
If it is your first time here at Downtown Harbor Church, every single week we put this word on the screen because we want to make sure you can leave on a Sunday and just know exactly what to do with what you've heard. So taking into consideration Solomon's wisdom, taking into consideration what we've learned from John the Baptist today, I just have one question that I think you need to sort of marinate on today, this week, and quite frankly, for the rest of your life. What are you doing with what you've been given? What are you doing with what you've been given? Because if what John the Baptist said is true, and I believe it is, then everything we have, everything we have, from your looks to your success, to your opportunities, your abilities to sell, your abilities to teach, your abilities to build, your abilities to parent, your everything is all from God, on loan from God. So the question is, what are you doing with it? I mean, have you claimed ownership to it and are using it to spotlight yourself? I mean, have you squandered it? Or have you, in humility, given thanks to God and glory to God? I mean, are we seeking to be known or are we helping others know Jesus? Have we, in any discernible way, pointed others to Christ? Or are we too busy pointing others to ourselves? Watch me. Look at me. Celebrate me. Folks, life is not about us. Never was. And the sooner we can begin to understand that, the more effective we will be in squashing that pride that crowds out others and crowds out God. Let me pray for you. Dear Father, I want to thank you for the opportunity that we could come together and talk about an issue that plagues all of us, that has been a problem since before time even began. Lord, and the thing that is so insidious about pride is that we can't see it in ourselves. I pray, Lord, that today by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would make us aware of how we look at ourselves and how we may promote ourselves to the world. And I pray that today you would give us a new understanding of who we are and what we have and what we can do because of you. Lord, that we can be blessed by all of this, but ultimately we are to use it to bless you and to point others to you. And I pray that this week, Lord, we can begin to make that shift, that paradigm shift, to change the way that we look at ourselves and the way that we point others to you. We ask all this in Jesus' name.